the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. In the New Testament, Jesus Christ is called our great high priest. Our great high priest. Here's what's interesting. Jesus is both the sacrifice as well as the one who offers the sacrifice. Because he offered himself. So he is the sacrificial lamb and he is the high priest who offers the lamb. Behold, the lamb of God, John said, who takes away the sin of the world. But he's also our high priest, our great high priest. He offers it. Billy Graham once said, God proved his love on the cross. Today on Connect with Skip Heitzig, Skip looks at how the sacrificial laws in the Old Testament shed light on the sacrifice Jesus made for us. You'll be blown away by God's never stopping love for you. Then, Skip and his wife Lenya want to tell you more about why it's so important to study books like Leviticus with all its intricate information. Well, Leviticus is, first of all, about worship. That's the big, grand, overarching theme of the book, worship. The worship that God accepts is the worship that God prescribes. You can't just decide willy-nilly how you feel like you want to worship God. I can't go stand on the rock in the mountains and be one with the universe you to can't, worship that, this God appropriately. This is the God. Thank you, Skip and Lenya. Be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear the full discussion. Right now, we want to share about a resource we're offering this month that helps you engage God's Word with greater results. A recent headline stated, Americans are fond of the Bible, but don't actually read it. The Bible is the best-selling and most widely distributed book in all of the world. Bible ownership is strong. Bible engagement is weak. We want to help you engage with God's Word every day so you can experience the power of the Bible in your own life with The Bible from 30,000 Feet by Skip Heitzig. I like a guy who says, my day's a lost day if I haven't had a good time over the Word of God. Spend one year discovering major themes, principles, people, and events from all 66 books of the Bible. We'll send you your copy of the Bible from 30,000 feet when you give a generous donation of $35 or more today to help keep these Bible-based teachings on the air and connect more people to God's Word. So call now to give and get your copy, 800-922-1888, or give online securely at connectwithskip.com slash offer. Now. We're in the book of Leviticus as we get into the message with Skip Heitzig. Now, I want to zero in. Let's tip the plane down a little bit, get a little closer to the ground. Look at chapter 8, verse 22. We're going right into the ordination ceremony of the ancient priesthood. Chapter 8, verse 22. And he brought the second ram, a ram of consecration. Then Aaron and his sons laid their hands on the head of the ram, and Moses killed it. And he took some of its blood and put it on the tip of Aaron's right ear, on the thumb of his right hand, and on the big toe of his right foot. And then he brought Aaron's sons, and Moses put some of the blood on the tips of their right ears, on the thumbs of their right hands, and on the big toes of their right feet. 
And Moses sprinkled the blood all around the altar. What's all this about? It's the idea in sanctifying it with shed blood. May this priest hear the voice of God by putting it on his ears. May he do the will of God by putting it on the thumb of his hand. Well, can work the works of God, do the will of God. And by putting it on his foot, he's saying, may this priest walk in the ways of God. So may he hear, work, and walk in the ways of God. Now let's fast forward in the New Testament, just to make an analogy. In the New Testament, Jesus Christ is called our great high priest. Our great high priest. Here's what's interesting. Jesus is both the sacrifice as well as the one who offers the sacrifice. Because he offered himself. So he is the sacrificial lamb and he is the high priest who offers the lamb. Behold, the lamb of God, John said, who takes away the sin of the world. But he's also our high priest, our great high priest. He offers it. So there is the fulfillment of that. Now, Let's move off of that and think of ourselves. In Romans chapter 12, Paul borrows the language of sacrifice from Leviticus and says to us, I beseech you therefore by the mercies of God that you present your bodies, right, just like their ears and hands and feet were covered with blood. You present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. So he's saying you, like the priests, come and voluntarily offer your bodies for God to work through. And can I just say, when you do that, life gets really good. Life takes on a whole new level When you see your body as a base of operations for the Holy Spirit to dwell within and work through to other people. That's when life really, really gets good. Think of the people in the Bible that God got a hold of their bodies, as imperfect as they were, and used it for His glory. Moses said, I can't talk. He stuttered. God says, great, I'm going to use you to be a spokesman to Pharaoh. Yeah, he used Aaron to help do that as well. But then Moses' mouth gave the law to people that he heard from God's mouth. So his body was a living sacrifice. David's hands put a sling in it one day. And God guided that little missile right into the head of Goliath. Paul's feet, anointed by God to spread the gospel through the known world. And your body as well as you offer it to God. You know, it's always interesting to me that God has chosen to use His redeemed people. So He redeems us, He saves us, we come uh, sinful, um, but then we ask Jesus to forgive us our sins, so we're now instantly His child. You know how it works by faith. And then God says, now I'm going to use you. And you don't have to have any special training, you don't have to have any special education, I'll use you just as you are. If you let me, I'll work my ways through your body. And God didn't have to do that. You know, God could have used angels instead of redeemed humans. And wouldn't you agree if God decided to use angels, they'd probably do a much better job than we've done so far in 2,000 years. Uh, You could count on angels to really get the word out. God's going to use an angel in the book of Revelation to proclaim the everlasting gospel to all the people on the earth. 
The job is going to get done. But God has chosen to restrict himself in the meanwhile to do the most important part of his work now through our bodies. And you go, not a good plan, God. I would counsel against that. The reason God does that is it gives him more glory. The more imperfect the instrument, the greater the glory goes to the one using that instrument. So God uses priests. God uses your body and my body for his glory. Chapter 10, there is a glitch in the priesthood. Aaron has two sons, one named Nadab, the other Abihu. And this is when worship gets dangerous. Verse 1, Then Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, offered profane fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. Now it says profane fire in my translation, the New King James that I'm reading from. The Old King James calls it strange fire. Some translations call it unconsecrated fire fire. The New Living Translation puts it this way, different kind of fire. So they're all taking a stab at what this profane fire or strange fire is. Some, and I'm putting a question mark here, some unspecified infraction occurred that had to do with burning incense. You know what it was? Because if you know what it is, please tell me afterwards. I have no idea what it is. I have read so many books and commentaries on what it is, and nobody really agrees. Uh, Some think it's they lit their censers with ordinary fire, other than the prescribed fire from the altar of sacrifice, that brass altar that was in the courtyard for animal sacrifices. So they just decided, why go out there? Just get a Zippo lighter. You know, do it that way. That's a possibility. Not the Zippo lighter. That didn't exist, but just an ordinary fire. Others have uh, guessed that maybe they were drunk. Uh, Because in uh, verse 8 and 9 to Aaron it says, Do not drink wine or intoxicating drink, you nor your sons with you, when you go into the tabernacle of meeting, lest you die. And they will die with this infraction. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations. But here's the point. Instead of trying to figure out what the profane fire exactly is, God, when he calls priests into the special role of representing the people, he calls them to a higher standard. Yes, they're humans. Yes, they sin. Yes, they're going to need sacrifices. But if you're going to serve in the priesthood, let me modernize it. If you're going to serve in the ministry today, we are called to a a higher standard. Those who teach the word are called to a higher standard, the Bible tells us. So um, our work, yeah, we work, all of us do our work, but in the ministry, it's not a nine to five. And sometimes it's not five days a week. Sometimes it's like whenever there's a need. And uh, Charles Spurgeon wrote a great book called Lectures to My Students, one of my favorite books that I always tell young men who want to get into the ministry to read. And here's a little section in there where he says, If you plan to be lazy, there are plenty of avocations or jobs in which you will not be wanted, but above all, you are not wanted in the Christian ministry. The man who finds the ministry an easy life will find that it also brings a hard death. So Nadab and Abihu, instead of trying to cut corners and just light your little incense thing with a Zippo, you know, get out there and do it right. And, and the grand theme is the worship that God accepts is the worship that God prescribes. God says, do it this way. Don't argue with that. Just do it the way God said to do it. 
So that's the glitch that happens. When we get to chapters 11 through 15, we have laws of ritual purity. Laws of ritual purity. Now, some of these are weird. I will admit that. And they're not going to really like apply to you uh, in a modern day and age. But it does answer the question, how can I be clean before God? In fact, the word unclean appears over 100 times in chapters 11 through 15. Now, some of these, as I say, seem weird. Let me give you the big picture. The big picture, God is saying this. All of your life, all of your life, all of your life is to be lived under the eye of God. Whether you're in the kitchen, whether you're in the office, whether you're in the bedroom, God wants to be a part of all of your life. So chapter 11 are regulations about food, chapter 12 about childbirth, chapter 13 about skin diseases, Um, chapter 14, leprosy as a specialized skin disease because of the contagion that it provides, and then um, probably your favorite chapter in chapter 15, bodily discharges. Ooh, yeah. So chapter 11, verse 1, And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying to them, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, These are the animals which you may eat among all the beasts that are on the earth. Among the beasts, whatever divides the hoof, having cloven hooves and chewing the cud, you may eat. How many of you ever worry about this when you go to the supermarket? Excuse me, did I have cloven hoofs? You probably don't. If you were Jewish, you probably would. That's according to kosher law. Here's why. Here's the big reason. Go down to verse 45. Still in chapter 11. For I am the Lord who brings you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. So that's reason number one. God is saying, I want Israel to be different. That's what holy means, different, set apart. I don't want you like every other nation. I don't want you to be like the world. I don't want you to think you need to be like the world. You're my people. I want you to live and act differently, including what you eat. Then verse 46, this is the law of the animals and the birds and every living creature that moves in the waters and of every creature that creeps on the earth to distinguish between the unclean and the clean and between the animal that may be eaten and the animal that may not be eaten. So the second reason is God is saying for sanitary reasons. I want you to eat certain things and not eat other things. To preserve your physical health. And why is that? Well, back in those days, there was no FDA. There was no Food and Drug Administration. We have FDA today. So our foods are highly regulated by the FDA. There was no FDA. There was only G-O-D. And God knew that certain animals can be harmful. Moses didn't. Aaron didn't. He, God knew that certain animals were what are called unclean feeders and are liable to disease, not only having them, but spreading them especially. So God knew that, and so this is part of kosher law. Funny story, I was overseas a few years ago, and on this particular trip, I went with a buddy who had not traveled out of the United States, so that's even more fun, just to watch what he thinks about some of those places, smells, um, temperatures, food, and we were in India, and... um, um, you know, at first he was just like, come on, bring it on. I'll eat anything. And in, you don't do that in India. He got dysentery on that trip. 
So we were there about two weeks. That got cured. He left India with me. We went to Egypt. The food doesn't look a whole lot different. Um, and uh, he was just a little bit skittish, but he ate a few things. But now he's eating less and less. And then we finally made it to Israel. And I remember him just saying, you know what? Just find me a bag of potato chips. I'm not going to eat any of this food. I said, here, you don't have to worry. Here, things are kosher. And there's a very strict rabbinical law of cleanliness instituted in Leviticus. Eat what you want in these Jewish quarter, in the Jewish sections we were at. So God knew that. And a very interesting book, or a very interesting author named Dr. S.H. Kellogg, said this, and I'm quoting him. One of the greatest discoveries of modern science is the fact that a large number of diseases to which animals are liable are due to the presence of low forms of parasitic life. To such diseases, those which are unclean in their feeding will be especially exposed. And he goes on to say that's why God said certain animals can and cannot be eaten. So in this article that I was reading, in this book, He then went forward to 14th century Europe during the Black Plague when people were dying like crazy. And he said, long ago, as in the days when the plague was desolating Europe, the Jews universally escaped infection, which brought suspicion that they were poisoning the wells and the springs in Europe. True story. The Jews were spared. Why? Because of this because of eating kosher, because of the laws that God had given. And that caused the other people who were non-Jewish to view with suspicion the Jewish population of Europe back then and say, these Jews are poisoning our wells. It's their fault. Now we get to chapter 16 and 17. I'm going to call this the laws of national sanctity. In this section of Leviticus, we're at the very heart of the book. It is the theological hub of the book of Leviticus. And the question these two chapters answer is how can we be one nation under God? You know, we say that about America, one nation under God. Israel in the wilderness truly was one nation under God. And God gave them laws. And and, and these two chapters form the theological hub of Leviticus. What do I mean? Well, there's a thing called the Day of Atonement. By the way, next week, I think it's Wednesday will be the 2018 Yom Kippur Day of Atonement. Right now we're at Rosh Hashanah. There's 10 days between Rosh Hashanah, the new year, to Yom Kippur called Days of Repentance. So this deals with the Day of Atonement. The Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, was a special day, one day a year, in which sin nationally was dealt with. Nationally was dealt with. These two chapters are like the Isaiah chapter 53 of the Torah. These were called days of awe. Yom Kippur was not a joyful day. It was a mournful day. It was a day of introspection. It was a day of meditation. It was a day of confession of sin. Nobody said, Merry Yom Kippur. Happy Yom Kippur. It wasn't happy. It was mournful. It was the one day a year, and still is, where Orthodox Jews fast for a period of 25 hours, a whole day. Why 25? I want to make sure they cover the entire day. So the 10 days between these two festivals, Rosh Hashanah, beginning of the new year, Yom Kippur, those 10 days are called days of repentance. What happened? The high priest bathed. The high priest dressed. 
in special ceremonial garb. He sacrificed a bull, sacrificed a ram, and took two goats. And that's where we get into chapter 16 and 17. The first goat was killed. It was killed because that one goat, the blood was a substitute for the nation. It was receiving the punishment of the nation for their sin. So that the nation wouldn't have to die. The second goat is called the scapegoat. I'm sure you've heard of that. If you haven't heard of the biblical scapegoat, you've heard of the modern idiom. We say, well, you're using me as a scapegoat. This is where it comes from. It was the second goat on Yom Kippur, and the priest walked up to it, laid his hands on the head of the goat, confessed the sins of the nation. So it was like all of the sins were being transferred to the goat. Then the goat went into the wilderness. Chapter 16, verse 21. And Aaron laid both his hands on the head of the live goat, confessed over it the iniquities of the children of Israel, all their transgressions. That would take a while. Concerning all their sins, putting them on the head of the goat and sent it away into the wilderness by the hand of a suitable man. I've been in Judea before, and I had the privilege of getting in a jeep, and I was taken out of Jerusalem through the Judean desert, through the foothills, to the stations to where they would have fires that would be signal fires to watch the scapegoat go in the wilderness. So they would let it go in the wilderness. Once it got out of sight... You know, the priest would wave back to the guy upon the little pinnacle. He'd light his fire. The guy on the next pinnacle, a little higher up, closer to Jerusalem, would see that fire. He'd light his fire. Uh, The guy on the uh, pinnacle, a little bit closer to Jerusalem, higher up, would light his fire. All the way back to the city of Jerusalem. When the people in the city, in the temple, when that was built, when they saw that the scapegoat had vanished from sight, all the people in the temple jumped and shouted praises to God as if to say, our sins are taken away. Now, quickly, the scapegoat is the hope of the new covenant. It's the hope of the new covenant. What do I mean by that? Well, this happened every what? Day of Atonement happened every year, every year, every year, just like there's a sacrifice or two every day. And there's festivals every few months, every year. This happened every year. Every year, every year, every year, year after year, generation after generation. But Jeremiah 31 predicts a new covenant. Jeremiah 31, I will make a new covenant with Israel. I will forgive their iniquity and their sin. I will remember no more. It anticipates a time in the future where it won't be like the covenant of the law anymore, having to do this over and over again, but God will take their sin and remove it completely, not cover it over. That's what the blood of sacrifices animals did. They just sort of covered it over. But remove it completely, the scapegoat, Jesus Christ, once and for all, would take the sin away. That's the new covenant. That's Skip Heitzig with a message from the series, The Bible from 30,000 Feet. Now, Here's Skip and Lenya to tell you more about why it's so important to study books like Leviticus with all its intricate information. 
Many people have a hard time studying the book of Leviticus. You think? I know. (laughs) And reading the details and all the specifics that the Israelites had to perform. I mean, it's laborious. It it can be very, very detailed and yet rewarding. Skip, why is it important to study this book and explore the details and the instructions it contains? Okay, well, Leviticus is, first of all, about worship. That's the big grand overarching theme of the book, worship. So it opens with Israel camped around the tabernacle in the wilderness of Mount Sinai. And the overarching theme is worship. The principle that comes from the theme is that the worship that God accepts is the worship that God prescribes. You can't just decide willy-nilly how you feel like you want to worship God. I can't go stand on the rock in the mountains and be one with the universe you to can't, worship that, this God appropriately. This is the God. And so Jesus even comes along and says to the woman at Samaria, they had a rival temple, they had their own worship system. He said, if, she, if you're going to worship God, you got to worship him in spirit and in truth. Both of those things together. Not just spirited worship, not just feeling this way or that way. It has to be according to truth. And also the book is about holiness, um, handling food, religious celebrations. So um, God wants us to be holy because God is holy, right? So that's that's part of, of the worship is I'm holy, so you be holy, like father, like son, like father, like daughter. He wants a holy people, and the book of Leviticus makes it clear. Thanks, Skip and Lenya. You know that the Bible is powerful and transforms lives. And here at Connect with Skip, we're all about connecting the truth of God's Word to people all over the world, including you. That's why we want to ask you to give today to keep these biblically solid teachings you love on the air. Visit connectwithskip.com slash donate to give now. That's connectwithskip.com slash donate or call 800-922-1888. Again, that's 800-922-1888. Thank you. Come back tomorrow as Skip Heitzig shares from Israel's history. We will go deep to learn from the past. Make a connection. Make a connection at the foot of the cross. Cast your burdens on His word. Make a connection. Connection. Connect with Skip Hightech is a presentation of Connection Communications. Connecting you to God's never-changing truth in ever-changing times.